Good morning, folks, and greetings from the swampy banks of the Buffalo Bayou in Houston, Texas. I'm James Holloway, Reorg's man in the Deep South, and this is the primary view from Reorg, in which we offer incisive interviews and insight on issues affecting distressed debt, leverage finance, direct lending, high-yield bonds and municipals, covenants, private credit, private equity, middle market, and private debt. And this week, it's our great pleasure to bring you Tim Gravely, co-head of Credit Aquiline Partners, who is talking about venture and growth lending with Reorg reporter Jeff Burroughs. Welcome to the Reorg Primary View, our series of stories and multimedia content focused on different aspects of the private credit market, leverage finance, and high-yield markets. I'm Jeff Burroughs, a reporter on Reorg's America's Core Credit Team. Welcome, Tim. So, Tim, to start, can you go over Aquiline's investment strategy? Yes, uh, Aquiline is a private investment firm that invests across the private equity, venture, and credit markets with a focus on financial service and technology, software, healthcare, and business services. We manage approximately 10 billion of AUM. On the credit and structured capital business that I manage, we invest across the capital structure from debt all the way through to non-control equity. Um, we also invest in the secondary debt markets. Uh, our business is largely focused in those industries in which I mentioned that we have a deep expertise, but we also cast a somewhat broader net than our buyout and our venture strategies, where our facility with complexity and structuring enables us to find and capitalize on attractive opportunities and other special situations. Great. And one of the things I thought was interesting um, that you talked about earlier is the distinction between venture lending and growth lending. Do you mind going over that distinction? Yeah, I don't know that there's bright lines to it, but what I'd say is, you know, we focus on the growth lending space um, where businesses may be cash flow negative, purposely so because they're going through a period of accelerated growth, capturing market share in a heavily growing or fast growing market environment, and are purposely over investing in sales and marketing engineering, but have long established businesses, very, you know, well um, entrenched customers and are making that decision based on a valuation metric that is being applied to you know, TAM market share and or um, revenue growth rates. We look at venture lending typically as a little earlier stage, more business risk, um, often businesses that are not well established. And even if they wanted to re, you know, change their cost structure, probably wouldn't be cash flow positive without additional equity funding. One other thing that I would just say between both venture and growth, well, there are not clear delineated lines. Um, we see both sponsored and non-sponsored situations in, in both spheres. We typically focus on the non-sponsored situations where transactions are often more complex, less competitive, and where our institutional knowledge and sponsorship is often valued by the founders and the board of the company seeking us versus the sponsored situations where, you know, I would say there's a broader range of capital, whether you're talking about traditional venture and or, you know, growth SaaS lending. Gotcha. Um, so one of the things that we thought was interesting about this piece was that despite, you know, rising interest rates, there's a optimism in this space that companies could and sh should and would turn to lending as a defensive play. Can you explain why companies may pursue that, what the calculus is behind that move? Yeah, look, as I mentioned, many of these companies are investing in growth and have robust runways ahead of them. And they don't necessarily want to dial that back, especially when they might have an opportunity to press their advantage in a market like this when other competitors are retrenching. Mm -hmm. 
However, uh, given the decline in public and private valuations for technology businesses, it's difficult to raise equity and you know, you often lead to a broken capital structure situation, the, the equity capital structure that is. Um, raising a down round. So that type of dilution is leading more and more tech and software investors that we're interacting with to consider more structured capital. Um, it's appealing in this type of market. It minimizes dilution. And while rates, interest rates that is, may be rising, the overall cost of capital measured on a two or three year basis is still significantly lower in many boards and in founder CEOs' minds. Um, venture, equity, and, and sponsor-backed businesses, they're looking at the dilution, uh, raising equity at, at sort of trough or what they deem to be low valuations today is, is extremely expensive. So what would you say the type of lenders that excel in this market are, given its unique characteristics and the type of borrowers that typically access it? What would you say the type of lenders are that um, excel and have traditionally been the go-to source in this market? Yeah, it's a good question. The, these are often unique businesses and ones that aren't showing gap profitability or, or positive EBITDA or cash flow. You, you need a lending partner who can understand the business, understand the growth opportunities, craft solutions, and, and really just be comfortable looking through to enterprise value and assessing what the business prospects are in a way that you know traditional cash flow metrics, um, you know, would 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 often be the driving force behind for a more traditional lender. So you've got a whole segment of the market that has grown up as the traditional venture lenders. They've been around for for many decades. They are very focused on um, sponsor back situations. Typically have deeply entrenched relationship base with you know the VC communities and that can be everything from banks like Silicon Valley Bank mm. to you know what, what you would call the whole direct lending market focused on the venture space the same is I think true on the software side a lot of um, entrenched direct lenders have built software lending or what people call recurring revenue lending businesses, but again, often very focused on buyout and, and the large you know, software buyout firms. And then there's a whole market where I think there's you know, an emerging group of lenders where maybe there isn't a sponsor, um, there's a little bit more complexity and businesses, as I say, could range anywhere from venture to growth. Um, we tend to focus on that later stage growth um, and in the non-sponsored segment of the market where our capabilities and industry expertise coming in and helping companies and their boards really accelerate growth or be more of an institutional partner for them, but in a more structured debt-like format uh, is where we tend to focus and, and play strongest. And in that uh, segment of the market, what, what do you take into consideration when you're looking at these companies? What type of metrics uh, stand out to you when investing in a new startup? And how do these factors change as it, as it matures, as these companies, these young companies mature? Yeah, so for the businesses we are investing in where they're relatively established and not what I would call early stage, mm -hmm. a key factor we look at is whether the business has achieved scale and while may not be um, you know, at its full potential, is is certainly um, well entrenched, you know, proven business model, no proof of concept risk, where it's pri prioritizing growth over profit today. And as I said, you know, many businesses have been being rewarded for revenue growth rates, 
um, and, and revenue relative, relative valuation metrics versus cash flow and more standard EBITDA multiples. Um, so in that vein, most of what we're looking at is you know, recurring revenue and size of that recurring base. How clean is that ARR? Um, retention rates and, and churn metrics, um, gross margins. There, we, we see a lot of differences in, uh, in gross margins, which speaks often to the, the quality of the business and gets back to the valuation and, and therefore the enterprise value. Um, and importantly, we're really looking and digging into the sales and the marketing spend and the engineering spend so that if we reached a difficult point in time or, or the business for whatever reason needed to emphasize profitability, you know, is it able to flip over and make some quick cuts that don't actually change the business prospect, but may just slow down its growth trajectory, but where they're able to pivot by cutting back that sales and marketing spend or that engineering spend to be a free, free cash flow positive business. Gotcha. And are these unique metrics part of the reason why you think traditional debt lenders have been hesitant to uh, lend to this early stage company, these early stage companies, or are there possible other reasons you think that this space has been largely so uh, absent of them? No, look, I think you hit it uh, with your first question. It is absolutely when you're an entrenched lender and you've been doing things a certain way for many years, emphasizing free cash flow, debt service, profitability metrics, it's very hard to wrap your head around um, a business that is free cash flow negative and, and, and EBITDA negative. Um, it, it, takes a different approach and a unique lender. I, I think it's becoming more accepted, but that is absolutely a big part of, of the reason that um, you've probably seen historically fewer lending products in this space. There's a certain element of ratings um, and you know there are credit funds that are more rating sensitive and credit vehicles that are more rating sensitive. And you know, rating agencies also emphasize a lot more of the traditional credit metrics, which if you look at fast growing software businesses or other forms of, of technology um, that are going through you know, the types of growth that these businesses are emphasizing, um, you know, revenue growth over profitability, mm -hmm. many times your credit rating is not going to be as strong as a more mature or, you know, cash flow solid business. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is somewhat of a factor that y you see from time to time. Sponsor and non-sponsor lenders. What do you characterize that difference as? Yeah, I think similar to other private credit strategies, we're still seeing many of the private lenders focus more on the sponsor side of the market where they may have deep entrenched PE or VC relationships that are showing them opportunities and where they're really backing a sponsor and a sponsor's behavior and reputation as much as anything. And that makes up a key part of their underwriting and comfort in a situation. Um, we as a firm have great sponsor relationships and we're active in the space um, that is lending uh, to sponsored situations. Um, but where we really view ourselves as having an advantage is on the non-sponsored side, where it's having direct relationships with the entrepreneurs and the companies directly, um, being able to really dive in and, and sort of pull apart businesses that may not have the same level of attention that a sponsor would bring to presenting materials and data and analytics. 
um, and importantly, having you know the ability to offer that company and its board, as I've spoken about in the past, more than just capital, where where we are in many sense an institutional partner. We're, we're sitting on the board or observing the board. We're opening up the relationships of the firm. Um, and in our deep industry experience in helping similar businesses on our venture or our private equity side of the business really grow and reach their level, next level of success, mm-hmm. which is an important factor that I think we see a lot of um, non-sponsored companies embracing um, when they are looking for a lending partner. People who aren't so optimistic about the space is they note the, the lack of collateral. It's a detriment to you know, how safe these deals actually are. I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, I think there's, you know, a lot of asset-based lenders that would struggle in any cash flow enterprise value-based business where, quite truthfully, if you went to liquidated business, it it wouldn't cover your debts. Uh, And there's some, you know, investment-grade companies that I could give you examples of that you know, just don't have collateral support. And so I think it's a different mindset. There's certainly a fair argument that, you know, on some of these businesses that there is just a different degree of of sort of perception of risk. And what I think we ultimately find comfort in is we've got a 15 plus year track record buying these businesses, managing these businesses, whether it be on our private equity or our venture business. And I think we really select what we view as strong going concern businesses. We, we know they're entrenched. We know they've got well beyond proof of concept. We're not dealing with earlier stage businesses. And they're not cash flow today, as I had mentioned, for a very specific reason in that they're over investing in the sales and marketing to really emphasize and, and maximize the revenue growth and the market share growth at a point in time, but could quite easily be pivoted. I, I think the second is is all in the design and the structuring and, and attachment points. I think for many lenders, you know, conservatism is is always a part of, of what you bring to your underwriting. And whether it's a conservative multiple of EBITDA or a conservative multiple of revenue, it, it's the same thing. If, if there is a very robust market for software businesses that are trading at four or five times revenue, then attaching at less than one times revenue Quite honestly, we don't see as being very different from a business that's trading at you know 12 to 14 times EBITDA and somebody attaching at at seven or or even seven and a half, eight times that EBITDA base. So I think it's just a very specific DNA of the the lending firm or the lending partner. Um, I think having experience in the space is is critical. And understanding cash flow versus collateral differences, there there are just some lenders whose strategies emphasize collateral, and, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're probably not right for this industry yeah. um, at this point in time. Yeah, great. You know, this is a market that there's a lot of optimism behind, and uh, people we've talked to think that it's poised to grow and expand quite well. I wonder how you see this market moving forward, this evolution, uh, whether it's in the specifically in the non-sponsored space or in growth lending as a whole? Yeah, now is certainly a good period. Um, As we've talked about, valuations are down. It's very dilutive to raise equity if if you can't even raise equity. 
um, making structured capital a very you know attractive alternative, um, and certainly much less dilutive and all-in cost capital over a period of time much lower. At the same time, you are absolutely going into a period of you know uncertainty with much more potential for turbulence than I think many boards and and founders and CEOs have really forecast um, in any period of time over the last 10 years. And so now is also a very good time to be raising excess liquidity, excess capital, and really making sure you're well positioned um, for the long term. But I think, look, as you look longer term, um, I think as more companies avail themselves of debt financing solutions to navigate this period of turbulence, they're going to come to realize that it's a valuable tool in, in, in their funding toolkit across all environments and that the lender ecosystem has really taken shape and, and can work with them as good partners and you know be able to craft effective solutions that are accretive in any market environment. 